0: Welcome again to Training for Life Redeemed. I'm your host, Dan Jackson, and I am joined by my father, David Jackson. Uh, we are starting part four of our studies in Acts. We've been working through these three at a week, which has been pretty intense, but we're getting through them. This episode is episode 30, and we are looking at Acts chapter 21, we're about halfway through that, down to the end of chapter 23. <music> Dad, we've come to Paul, you know, at the end of our last episode, Paul was saying farewell to everyone, heading back into Jerusalem, knowing that he was going to get arrested and put on trial and all the things that were coming there. There are lots of people who were prophesying and, you know, bounding them, binding themselves up and saying, Paul, this is how, you know, the Romans are going to lead you away and what's going to happen. We're now in Jerusalem. He's arrived and, yeah, you know, surprise, surprise, the prophecies come true. <laughs> yep, they do. It's it's
1: fun to do the historical background to this particular section because just before Paul arrives in Caesarea Maritima, uh, there were riots in Caesarea Maritima. Uh, Jews and Greeks were rioting about whether it was a Roman city or whether it was Jewish. <laughs> so what you see... I mean, we see these riots happening with the West Bank Palestinians and the Israelis in East Jerusalem. Exactly the same thing is happening... And Paul is arriving right in the middle of it. Uh, And the Roman governor is dealing with all of this. He sends the troops in and kills a whole bunch of people and steals all of their property. So the Roman governor, who doesn't care a hoot about Jews or anybody else, (laughs) but he's going to make whatever money he can can out of all of this. And
0: also clearly send a message that it's Rome. Yeah, Rome. (laughs) Yep, we own the
1: world. So this is AD 59. Paul's arriving in Jerusalem. Now, he wants to get back to Jerusalem because he's bringing an offering of money from all the churches that he's planted. They've collected all this money. So he's coming with this bodyguard of people from Macedonia and all these areas, and he wants to be there at the significant time of Pentecost. Pentecost is the day when all of the Jews bring their first fruits of their harvest to contribute to the temple. And so that's what Paul's doing. He's bringing his first fruits, so he's, to speak. from he's his bringing his mission, first fruits. Essentially. Yeah, he's bringing all this tribute from all the other churches that have been planted out of Jerusalem, and they're bringing their tribute, as it were, back to the church
0: in Jerusalem. <laughs> Is it strange then, too, that like Jerusalem's in a famine or something like that? Are He's they, they, coming to support the poor, church in yeah. Jerusalem. And so it's kind of funny, Pentecost, they're yep. meant to be celebrating harvest, there isn't the harvest, but Paul's bringing back yeah. money to support the church.
1: Yeah, and this is the, it's the first example, I think, in history of foreign aid. Mm. So when you think about a lot of the things that in our culture we take for granted, they start here in the Bible, uh, where churches gather together and share their funds to contribute to support the poor in another country. Now, in the Roman Empire, that's crazy. But that, you know, here's Theophilus watching this happen, right? And here he is. He's a Torah observant Jew. He's returning to Jerusalem as he's required to do for the feast. And he's bringing the offering with him. He's walked, or they've come down from basically Lebanon, Tyre and Sidon, and that area. And they've moved their way down the coast. And everywhere they go, Christians come out and go, come and stay at our house. (laughs) There's lots of hospitality. And the hospitality, I think, even extended to the Roman, to other people that were on the journey. And he gets there and he arrives in Caesarea Maritime and the people from Jerusalem come out to meet him. And they're providing their little escort to bring him and his money up to Jerusalem. And he's got to be there for for Pentecost. And he's got to spend a week before Pentecost doing his own ritual cleansing. So he can't actually go up to the temple because he's been in Gentile lands. He's unclean. So he does the whole Torah observant thing. And people are still accusing Paul of, you know, you're these Christians, they're writing off the whole Old Testament. And we're under grace, not under law. We can throw the Bible in the bin. And they're saying, you know, we're not going to have this fellow because he's, you know, we've got God's word in writing and who the heck does he think he is? <laughs> so we're going to go with the scriptures. That's reliable. We know that's God's word. So Paul has got to get some cred here, uh, and they suggest he head up to the temple and pay the fees for a bunch of guys that have done the Nazarite vow. Now, we know that Paul also had a Nazarite vow. He cut his hair back in Cancria, and I think, if I'm reading the, Torah, the the law rightly at the time, he had actually had to bring the hair that he cut off and hand it to the priests in the temple <laughs> to complete his own vow. And there's a whole bunch of people who've come for the Feast of Pentecost. They've got other things that they've got to take care of, and they suggest to Paul he could pay their expenses. I went back and I read the Torah on what are the expenses, and for each of those fellows you bring in, you know a herd of animals to be slaughtered. <laughs> it's, you know, you've got a bull and you've got a couple of sheep, and oh, who knows what that would have cost. Yeah. And he's going to pay for everybody else. So... You're going, okay. <laughs> and he gets there and they tell him, they the, the crowd thinks that he's brought a Greek onto the property.
0: Yeah, which and then instills this you know, beginning of a bit of a riot, I guess it's about to, on the cusp of happening in, oh. in there. And then the Romans come in and start to settle things down. But Paul speaks to them in Aramaic. No, no. My translation says Aramaic. <laughs> yeah, good on you. That's right.
1: Yeah, this is where I I sail my little horse in here. The The Greek says Hebrew. Okay. And an interesting thing is happening here. You've had a bunch of false prophets arise in Judea claiming to be the Christ or want starting insurrections against Rome. I mean, this is AD 59, AD 66. They go to war and a million Jews are slaughtered, the whole thing comes to an end. This is building, this is, you know, you're walking into a time bomb here, and you're at the temple, back in ADC- BC 165, the Jews revolted again, and they threw out the Greek king, who was a nasty piece of work, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, they chucked him out, and he had been sacrificing pigs to Zeus in the temple, and torturing Jews and doing terrible things. So they won that war, and for a period till 165, about 100 years, they had their independence. Now, that's all very exciting, but during that independence movement, they decided that they would revive the language of Hebrew. So, it's a funny thing in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the earliest scrolls are written in Aramaic, but starting with the Book of Jubilees around 165, it tells the story of how God had to teach Abraham enough Hebrew to <laughs> to read the <laughs> heavenly books. And so now everything at the Dead Sea Scrolls from 165 onwards is written in Hebrew because we're nationalists. We're asserting that Hebrew is God's language and Hebrew is what you do as a Torah-observant Jew. The Bible was written in Hebrew.
0: So Paul's really making a point then that he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. I know my Hebrew. He's a rabbi. I'm, a, I'm about Jerusalem you're gonna, and being Israel. Yeah,
1: you're going to put me in the temple and accuse me of violating the temple? Hey, guys, how many of you can even understand what I'm saying? Yeah, in Hebrew, not In Hebrew, not Aramaic, you know. Uh, Aramaic was the language of the Persian Empire. Greek was the language of the Greek Empire. You want to charge me with bringing Greeks in? I'll talk to you in the language of the Torah. And immediately the crowd goes, woof, silent. That's a powerful choice. But I love the fact that in the very next study, Acts 22, when the Roman garrison get him out of there and the crowd go nuts, (laughs) The, the Roman garrison commander thinks, oh, we'll just scourge this guy, go through Roman protocol, torture him until we find out what he did wrong. <laughs> Never mind asking the accusers what he did wrong. You find out from him <laughs> by torture. And Paul turns around and, in, and says, I'm a Roman citizen. What's your problem? And, and the he guy, speaks to him in Greek. <laughs> the guy's shocked. He's speaking Greek. You know, I just arrested this, you know, he's just a Jew. And now he's speaking educated Greek and he's a Roman citizen and I bought my citizenship and he was born a Roman citizen. This guy outranks me. Ah, let's take him inside. (laughs) It's, this is, you can just hear Theophilus reading this letter and understanding the power of the gospel and the righteousness of the gospel, the innocence of the gospel in a world that just wants to bring down the truth. It has huge impact.
0: Yeah. And then Soldier then, well, not Soldier, whatever he is. Yeah, he's Garrison Commander. The Garrison. Yep. Um, He then has the Sanhedrin come the next day to present their case about Paul and Paul using his well and truly, you know, smart, kind of tricky, funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, he's <gasps> cheeky, I guess. <laughs> he's he's, he just he's got it. Defy I mean, <laughs> you got to remember this
1: guy was trained in the by the Sanhedrin. He was an officer of the Sanhedrin. He carried the San, he was power had Sanhedrin power of attorney to arrest Christians in Jewish synagogues in Syria. So, I mean, he was there when Stephen was stoned. He'd probably been there for the twelve years before that with Gamaliel. I fully expect that Paul would have been present during Jesus's trials before Annas and, and that crowd. He knows, he knows this stuff. He's one of them. So the tribune has the authority to summon the Sanhedrin. So you've got this two system of government. Jews can take care of Jewish religious law. So if you want to drag somebody out and thrash him 39 times with a stick for, you know, violating the food law or something, that's none of Rome's business. We don't care a hoot about that. But if you want to start a riot and you want to start killing people, well, that's another story. Uh, Rome comes in. The only people who can be put to death can it has to have Roman authority. So you want to riot in the temple grounds? We've got a fortress overlooking the temple and we're going to come rushing down and sort you fellas out. So, okay, you want to bring charges against this bloke? Let's do it properly. You summon the Sanhedrin. I will bring the accused and we'll come down and I'll see whether this has got any validity to it. So down we go, and Paul is there and they're all being rude and abusive. It's all
0: about the resurrection.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean the Sanhedrin's made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. I mean if you think, you know, Labour and Liberal Party are can be pretty nasty at times, or the you know, Trump versus the Democrats, nothing compared to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Right? So Paul just sticks his little beak in there like Jesus used to do, you know, the Sadducees don't believe in angels and they're asking about all resurrection, so they ask the question, you know, if a woman ends up marrying seven husbands, one after the other, whose wife is she? And Jesus says, I'll be like the angels at the resurrection, they don't believe in either of them. Uh, This is sarcasm. Paul comes in and says, oh, I'm on trial for the resurrection, never mind about, you know, just getting into Jesus and the Messiah stuff. You, you guys will be united against that. The Romans are watching. Let me show you how this works. Uh, and they then tear each other to shreds, and you can just see it's like a Monty Python skit. You know, the Romans are looking at each other while the Jews tear each other apart. And <laughs> just, let's get out of here. Take this Roman citizen away. Be done with it. Romans leave. Exit <laughs> stage right. Yep, and they take Paul with them. So this prepares good grounds for the credibility of the gospel, that Satan's kingdom is a kingdom divided against itself, and it's irrational and it's emotional and it's self-destructive, whereas the Christians are coming in, doing good, healing people, you know, bringing peace, uh, rescuing people, and speaking reason in the face of all this emotional rubbish.
0: Yeah. Well, our passage ends with Paul getting transferred off to. Caesarea, uh, mm-hmm. where he's going to stay for a while, and we'll come back to him there in our next episode, which will be on Wednesday. I'll make sure I remember this. So that's the end of this episode. This is episode 30. So if you would like to grab the study notes for this episode, please head over to com slash 30. You'll be able to grab the study notes there. And if you enjoyed it, make sure you leave us a review. And, of course, make sure that you subscribe if you haven't so that you can come back and join us on Wednesday for episode 31 when we start to look at Paul on trial before a few of our Roman friends. or Not so friendly. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you then.